All right, hi everyone. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you tonight. I'm very excited. So be excited with me. All right, we'll all be excited together. Good. That was excellent responses. All right, so let's pray and uh, we'll begin our time. Father, thanks for loving us tonight. I want to say thanks for caring for us and for providing for us. We ask you tonight that you would help us as we've gathered in the name of Jesus. We want to learn. We want to discover. We want to uh, have revelation. We want to see more. We want to hear more. God, we want to experience more of you. And so tonight we ask that you would reveal more and that, God, we would really have just the, the senses, our senses open and ready to receive, ready to see, ready to hear, ready to feel, God, uh, your presence and who you are tonight. So we just ask uh, that you would prepare us as uh, we prepare for your presence here in our midst. Uh, Jesus, thanks. We welcome you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. We have Bibles available on the table if anyone would like to avail themselves. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. While you're looking for that, just a reminder, if you have any questions that you would like to ask or make any comments about the Bible study, uh, you can do so at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. And you can leave a message there. It's like a little voicemail. And uh, we'll receive that and play it during the meeting and try to answer your question or maybe get all excited about your comment. So if you'd like to leave us something, it's www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Matthew 3.16, would somebody like to read that? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. And the heaven opened and saw God's spirit come down on him like a dove. All right. You can go ahead and read the rest of it. Next verse. And the voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love, and I am very pleased with him. All right. Thanks for reading that. And uh, Luke, if you read uh, Luke 3.21, it adds a little something. Uh, where it talks about the manifestation that comes, it says, while he was praying. And so I just wanted to add that as we're starting off, that uh, Luke adds a different element to it, like an additional element to it, that uh, this was also taking place as they were coming up out of the water and they were praying. That's what was going on. And so what's implied in this is that they were either alone, all by themselves, which is doubtful, or that they saw what happened, but they were the only two that saw it. Now, I say two because John the Baptist indicates that he saw the same thing that Jesus saw here, in that uh, the heavens being opened, the Spirit of God descending, like in the bodily form, like a dove. Uh, In John 1, 33 and 34, he indicates that he was also aware of what was going on, uh, at Jesus' baptism, and also heard, could hear God's voice as he spoke. Uh, we don't have any reason to believe that anybody else heard it, though. Uh, no, There's no other uh, really accounting of it, except like that there was somebody else that may have heard it. Uh, 
So it was Jesus and John the Baptist. Now why, and, and I'm going to come back to this a couple times, but I want to emphasize that is that the only people we know for sure that saw or heard what was going on was Jesus and John the Baptist. And there's a reason I want to emphasize that for us. And, and part of the reason for that is that a lot of when God opens things up, like he does here, we see this is an open heaven type experience. But what's interesting about it as an open heaven type experience is that only two people could see it. And I think sometimes when we think about these types of experiences, we get the impression that everyone can see it. But I don't know that that's the case. And as we look at other examples of open heaven experiences through the New Testament, what you begin to see in these occasions is that people that actually could see it or actually could experience it were very few. There's only a couple. There's only one or two. Now, they're all different people. And so it would indicate that this isn't an uncommon experience, which I don't want to give you that idea at all. I don't want you to believe this to be necessarily uncommon. But what I do want you to get from this is that there's not, it's not everyone just doesn't see it all at once. Say, for example, right, let's look at a couple of examples. What's a, who's another person that had uh, this kind of open heaven experience in the New Testament? Can you think of anybody? Okay, the transfiguration. Who was present at the transfiguration? It was Jesus. What? Peter, James, and John. All right. So Peter, James, and John, and then it was Moses and Elijah. Is that correct? So Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John. They were all aware, it's apparent that they were all aware of one another's presence. All right, so everyone could see that. Okay, so there's one that everyone could see. What do I mean by everyone? All four of them. <laughs> all right, and the reason I'm saying that is that it wasn't even all 12 of them. It wasn't even half of them. It was just all four of them. It was three disciples, Jesus, and Moses and Elijah. They're the ones that saw it. They're the ones that experienced it. They're the ones that heard it. They're the ones that saw the open heaven. Okay, give me another example. Somebody else that experienced an open heaven. Stephen. Stephen. Okay, if you want to look at that, it's Acts chapter 7. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, the, the Bible says that the heavens were opened. Anybody want to read that? Acts seven fifty six. Because it's kind of an, it's, it's an interesting moment here. Anyone? If it's the wrong verse. So to whom were the heavens opened? Stephen. Alright, do we have any indication that everyone else saw it? Not really. They responded to him saying, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They covered their ears and they rushed him to kill him because they considered it blasphemy, what he was saying. But we don't have any indication they could see it. Right? Yeah. Well, John 12, there's one. Okay. It talks about the crowd hearing it, but they just thought it was thundering. Right. And that's something that... You, you see it in 
that's another thing. Like, what about Paul? What about Paul, Saul, when he was on the road to Damascus? And he had that experience with Jesus. And, and so he was knocked off his horse and he was blinded. But he could see, well, he could see a bright light. We don't, I don't know exactly what he saw, but he had an experience with Jesus and he heard the voice of Jesus. What did the other people experience that were around him? Hmm? Well, they knew something happened. They knew something happened. But what happened? I don't know. But something happened, but they didn't experience what Paul experienced. So I can't say, I can't say that everyone that was in Paul's group that was going down that road experienced an open heaven. I can say Paul did, and I can say that they knew something happened in their vicinity. And then they could see something happen to Paul. There was evidence that something took place. They had no idea what. And the one you're using is the same thing to me, is that they knew something happened. But they couldn't even agree on what happened. Some of them said, well, it thundered. But they didn't know. And maybe it did thunder. (laughs) I don't know. I can't tell you that. I wasn't there. And and what's interesting about the thunder analogy, or the thunder thought, and, and, and keep that in mind too, is that the wording that's used, like here, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the wording that's used here, when it says that the heavens were opened, that word is, is a really clear word in that what it means is, is that the heavens were torn open, is the wording that's used. And it's used explicitly, it's used um, implicitly here, but it's used explicitly in Mark chapter 1 and verse 10, describing the same event, that the heavens were torn open or rent open. That word rent means to tear, to rend something. It's to tear it. And so when, when you think of the heavens being torn open, I mean, I don't know what you think about, I immediately think about lightning. Because lightning is that appearance of the heavens being torn in two or into pieces. And so what happens after it lightnings? It thunders. And so I wonder if a tearing open of heaven produces a thunder. I don't have any idea. I don't know. I do know I've heard thunder and not seen lightning. I do know that. That doesn't mean it didn't lighten. I just didn't see it. But I've, I've, you know, been outside and I've not seen lightning, but I've heard thunder before. What happened? So I just wonder about that. That's me talking right there. All right. But but when you mention that particular verse, that's the first thing I thought of. It's like, well, what does the tearing open of heaven look like or sound like? I don't know, maybe it thunders. <laughs> I don't have any idea. But and but so Paul in his description in Acts nine seven, or then he redescribes it in Acts twenty two nine. I don't know if you you understand what I'm saying, but he tells his story again in Acts twenty two nine. And when he tells the story again, it's apparent both times when he tells the story 
that this was his experience. This was his open heaven moment with Jesus, at least at that point in his life, where Jesus was speaking to him and Jesus was, was asking him questions. Why are you kicking against the goats? You know? He, and, and, and Paul had a physical manifestation being blind after that. But the people with him, they didn't really understand what happened. They didn't hear the same thing he heard. They didn't see the same thing he saw. So, so the heavens were opened. But in each one of those cases, the only thing I'm trying to point out is that there was either one person, two people, or a small group of people that actually experienced it. But the other side of what I want to say is I don't think it's that uncommon. And so I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to in any way, shape, or form assault place any kind of an assault on any expectation that we would have to have heaven open and have our experience like that. I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that I, I believe that God has that for us. I believe it's something that, that may come into our life at some point or that we may see maybe more than once. It's something we may experience many times in our life. I don't know. But what, but I, what I'm really trying to get at here is that don't put it into a box that, well, if everyone doesn't see it, then it wasn't an open heaven. Well, that's the Bible. Everyone doesn't see it. It's okay. There were disciples in the vicinity. They didn't see it. It's okay. It may not have been for them. That revelation may not have been for anyone else and the people that were standing right there when they saw it. The people that actually experienced it. The people that were with Paul. That revelation wasn't for them. It was for Paul. This revelation was for Jesus and John the Baptist. Cousins. That's who it was for. Peter, James, and John. The revelation of the, trans, the transfiguration. That was for them. Does that mean the, the other disciples were bad? And they were being punished? No. It just wasn't for them. It's okay. Did they miss something? No. I mean, they did, but nothing they needed. Nothing that was for them. Because, I mean, the three that were there, I mean, how trustworthy were they? I mean, you go to the Garden of Gethsemane and they couldn't even stay awake. So it's not that they were like, they were the super disciples or anything. They happened to be close to Jesus. And they happened to be part of, of uh, perhaps a, a grouping of friends that were closer with him or whatever, but that was for them. It wasn't for the other people. It's okay. It's all right. And God will show things to some people and not show things to other people. He will reveal things. He'll open up things. Heaven will be torn open for this moment, for this person, for that group or whoever it was. That's fine. That's fine. But that's for them. And if they receive a revelation that they share, like each of these people did, that is shared through the scriptures, good. The way we do it now, you write a book. That's what they did. They wrote a book. And so the heavens are, are torn open and God reveals himself and there's an open heaven situation in whatever place it's in and they write a book about it. We get to read about it. We're encouraged. We, we're, we're excited. We're electrified through that. Awesome. I don't feel like I missed it. I'm looking for mine. 
And if anything, I'm just more encouraged from reading somebody else's account, from hearing someone else's account. I want mine. God, what do you have for me? God, what do you want to show me? God, and put myself in a position that I'm able to receive that. I'm able to see it. I'm able to hear it. I'm able to experience it. John the Baptist experienced this with Jesus. He was with Jesus, right? I would dare say that John the Baptist experienced this because he was with Jesus and Jesus didn't experience this because he was with John the Baptist. Does that make sense to everybody? Because when God spoke, he spoke to whom? Jesus. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Alright? That's who he's talking to. This revelation came. Alright? But John was in the right place, wasn't he? With Jesus. And he experienced it. Heavens were open. He's in the right spot at the right time. Alright, so what happens here? They ascend up out of the water, and so the heavens were torn open. Did anybody look at Mark one ten? Okay, some versions actually say the heavens were cleaved open. What does it mean to cleave something open? What's a cleaver? Yeah, you hack it. Right, it's like this big bladed knife you use to cut uh, meat at the joints and stuff. And it's a heavier knife, and you just whack and it's heavy and sharp, and it just cuts the meat. Butchers used to use them. Heavens were cleaved open. They were, they were divided. There was a clear path. There was a clear moment. There was a clarity that takes place. Whatever's on this side, whatever's on that side, doesn't matter. It's opened up. It's torn open. There's something more there. There's something being made obvious. And so there's a manifestation. So whatever the manifestation is. In this case, what's the manifestation? Give me, uh, give me one of the manifestation that took place here in Matthew 3. What did you say? Okay, voice of God, that's a manifestation. Okay, and we know that he speaks. He speaks to his son. Right? And I'll get more into that, hopefully, if I remember to do it. And so who heard that? John the Baptist and Jesus. So who is this a testimony for? Jesus. To them. Because they're the ones that heard it. Heavens were open. Voice is one of the manifestations. They hear the voice. This is my son in whom I take delight. Or whom I am well pleased. That's what that phrase means. It means to take the light in. And so John the Baptist hears that. Jesus hears that. It's a testimony to them. And I brought this up last week and I want to say this again. They were the witnesses of this. They witnessed it. They heard it. It's important that we recognize our role as witnesses. Now, we use that word backwards. We use it backwards. I'm going to go witness to somebody. You know, the church uses that word. Now, we're not going to go witness to anybody. We're going to go testify to somebody. What we've witnessed. We're the witnesses. 
All right? And so the idea is, is that we need to take that kind of seriously in our life, that God, as he reveals himself, as he shows himself, as heavens are open, whatever takes place in our life, we are the designated witnesses of what God is saying and what God is doing. So John the Baptist became a witness of what? That God loves his son and he takes delight in him. Jesus is a witness that his father loves him and he takes delight in him. They are witnesses of that fact, witnesses of that revelation, witnesses of that manifestation of the voice of God. Who else saw it? We don't know that anybody else saw it. Who else heard it? We don't know that anybody else heard it. It was a word to Jesus, but important to John the Baptist because he was there and he heard it. And so what that gives us is a statement and an understanding that comes forth from this is that that word was not only for Jesus, but it was for John to also hear. And there is something important about our Father, the Father of Jesus, taking delight in Him that God wants us to understand about ourselves. Because as all of those ideas come around, that Jesus lives, He dies, He raises again. He rises again. And we begin to get through revelation, and and understand this is through revelation. We begin through revelation to understand as the teachings of Paul come out and some of the other teachings of the New Testament come out that we've been adopted, that we've been brought into the family of God, that Jesus in a real way is our brother, and that we are brothers and sisters and we're co-heirs, joint heirs with him. All of those ideas and all of those manifestations coming about, well, go back to this revelation that I'm a child, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the Father. This is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. I take delight in you. And I immediately, of course, thought of the shack. I'm particularly fond of this one. Is there anyone you're not particularly fond of? No. That whole idea, though, that's the revelation. That is the revelation that comes forth here, and that's why John witnessed it. Because while he wouldn't understand that, that that would have appeared to have been to him a conversation between a father and a son. But as the revelation continues to come forth in the New Testament, it becomes bigger than that because Jesus' family is a lot bigger than what John realized or what he recognized. That it wasn't just James, the brother of Jesus, and his other sisters and brothers that were part of Jesus' family that made up that family, but it was going to be all of us that were going to make up that family. And so that same Father who has taken delight in Him is taking delight in us. And that's important for us to understand. That's key for us to understand. It's key for us to grab hold of that and to hang on to it. Because we have a witness that has told us this. A witness that has heard this. 
And I can only pray that each of us is going to get our own opportunity for to witness that ourselves and to experience that ourselves and to live in that ourselves. But if we don't, we have a reliable witness that tells us it's the truth. It's the truth. And let that bring a conviction of God's love and His delight in you. Even if you've never had a direct revelation of that in your life, you have a great witness telling you it's the truth who is actually there. In other places, I'm going to give you a few verses. Mark 14, 36. Somebody wants to look that up. Uh, Romans 8, 15. Somebody look that up. In Galatians 4, 6. Somebody look that up. So, Mark 14, 36. Romans 8, 15. And Galatians 4, 6. Anybody want to start us off? Any bad references, just let me know. Because I scribbled these down. So I'm taking a shot. These are the right ones. Anybody want to start us off? Alright. So Jesus here refers to his father is Abba, which is the familiar uh, form. If we were to say that in English, we would say dad. We'd say dad. And so dad, father, take this from me. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's asking the father, is it possible? I don't have to go to the cross. Is it possible? I don't have to face this. I don't have to bear this. He said, but not, nevertheless, not, not my will. Yours be done. And so he makes his decision. But in that conversation, he refers to him as Abba, as Dad. And so here again, there's a witness, right? There's a witness to this. Jesus and the Father are really close. Jesus calls him, not in a formal name, but in a really familiar name. And this is the same Father that takes delight in him. This is the same Father who is really pleased by him. This is the same Father that loves him and has shown that love and has manifested that love throughout his ministry, throughout his life that we have recorded. That same Father, Heavenly Father. And so we, we have a witness of that. There's Jesus, Abba, Dad, Father. Okay, so let's move on. Romans 8.15 The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. All right, so here's a revelation. And, and understand, this is pure revelation that Paul has. From being with Jesus, from, from learning from him on the backside of the desert, wherever he was, this is revelation that Paul got, and he's bringing that revelation to the church. What is the revelation? You have a spirit in you, and that spirit in you is crying out, Abba, Father. Well, where did we see that before? We saw that, we witnessed that. Humans be, there was a witness to that, Abba, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where we see that? John the Baptist, a witness, this is my son, in him I am well pleased, I take delight in him. 
And so we see a relationship between Jesus and his father, where the father is loving him and taking delight in him. We see Jesus referring to him in a familiar way as dad. And so there's a closeness there that we have witnessed. We have reliable witness of that closeness. So then Paul says, now you have a spirit in you that cries out that same thing. Dad, father. That's the spirit that's in you that's crying out. Well, how do we know about that? Because we've had witnesses of it. They've seen it. We have a father taking delight. We've been joined. All of a sudden, that joins us in. See, we get drawn into the discussion now. So we've seen the way the son and the father interact. We've seen how the father feels about the son. We've seen how the son speaks to the father in familiar ways. So now we're drawn into a relationship like that. So how do we gain an understanding of what our relationship is supposed to be? Through watching Jesus. Through listening to the witnesses that have seen what happens. We have a father. What's our default? Our father takes delight in us. What's our default? That we refer to him in familiar terms. He wants to be close to us. He's dad. So we've got dad. We've got the father taking delight in us, loving us as his sons and daughters, as his children. Those are the witnesses that we have. So if we want to have an understanding of it, we can't even look to, and and I'm careful to say this, but I want you to understand what I'm saying, you can't even look to your natural parents. Because that isn't what this is referring to. This isn't referring to your natural parents. This is referring back to the witnesses that have seen how the Heavenly Father, how our spiritual Heavenly Father treats His children. And we've seen that through Jesus. I love you. I take delight in you. That's our default, Dad. You've got whatever you've got from your past and your your earthly parents, whatever that is, it is. But that's not the witness. That is not the witness of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The witness of our relationship with our Heavenly Father starts, well, at least New Testament-wise, starts right here when Jesus is baptized. That's our understanding. That's it. I love you, and I take delight in you. That's our witness. So let's try uh, Galatians 4, 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir to God. You see, pure revelation. We're sons, we're daughters. That, that This is truth. And it's not even just in one spot. This is truth. And we have to allow God to redefine this truth in us. Not by what we make up, and not by what other people have done to us, but let God redefine this truth by His own revelation and the witnesses that have seen it. Let it be redefined in your heart. Let it be redefined in your mind. Let His Spirit well that up in you. Both of those passages, Romans and Galatians, says there is a Spirit in you that wells this up in you, Abba, Father. 
that assures us of our adoption, that assures us of our place with the Father. It's this churning up in us, that, 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 that spirit that is in us. We've been given that. Let it happen. That's one argument you don't want to win. You're going to keep arguing against that, that Holy Spirit that is in you, that's crying out, Abba, Father. You're going to keep arguing that, that Holy Spirit that's in you, that's drawing you to Him as your Heavenly Father, as your Dad. You keep fighting that. You're going to keep arguing against that. And you're going to argue against the witnesses that have seen that, that have heard that, and that have experienced that. Keep arguing. You don't want to win that. You want to stop that argument. You want to stop that fighting. This is one you want to submit to. This is one you want to receive. And say, thanks. Thanks, Father. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for sending that Spirit. They said that he's been persistent on me, even though I've been fighting him, even though I've been arguing with him, even though I've been trying to prove him wrong all these years. People fight so hard to be bitter. Why? Why? They fight so hard to be angry. They fight so hard to, to, to be disappointed. They fight so hard to, to feel alone. They fight so hard for all the stuff that we claim we hate. Why are you going to fight to be that? Can't stand that. Well, why are you fighting for it? Why are you fighting to be disappointed? Why? Why are you fighting to be bitter? Who wants to be bitter? Yeah, I mean, and, and what's interesting about that, and I'm not going to get into this too far, but what's interesting about that is that a culture was created that glorified just being a complete and utter angry loser. And what does that get you? Nothing. The leader of the band shot himself in the in the face with a shotgun. What does that get you? Hopefully not part of the Smashing Pumpkins because you'll OD within two years. <laughs> I mean, seriously though, I mean, of all the people still left, why, oh God, is it Eddie Vedder? Why is he the one that's left? I mean, really? <laughs> I know some of you are Pearl Jam fans. I don't know why, but you are, and so I, I gotta leave that alone. <laughs> so, what I'm getting at is that we don't want that, so why keep fighting for it? Just make a decision. Say, like, am I gonna keep fighting to be bitter? No. Am I gonna keep fighting to be disappointed? No. Am I gonna keep fighting so I can be angry all the time? I hope not. Just no. No, no, no. There's a spirit in you that's already crying out, Abba Father. There's a spirit in you that's already bearing witness to that. There's a spirit in you that's already trying to convince you that God loves you and that He's really pleased with you and that He takes delight in you. Trying. Stop fighting it. Let it, let that spirit rise up in you. Yeah. Let it well up. It's good. Let Him just rise up and well up in your life. Welcome him. Welcome him. So what's another manifestation? 
the dove. Well, we don't really know if it was a dove. And this is kind of an interesting discussion about the what happened here with this manifestation. It was the Spirit of God. But we don't get the impression that it was the hovering kind of flittering dove that you think of. You ever watch doves? You know much about them? They are not the smartest animals. They're just not. Uh, I, I've almost killed doves by accident because they just don't move. Like I could be trimming, like hand trimming a bush, and there's a dove in there. I don't even know. But they won't even come out of the bush. Like, hey. You know, as soon as I walk, you, then, then when they're in a flurry, like they realize he's about to chop my head off with these shears. And then all of a sudden, something kicks in, some self-preservation kicks into the dove, starts flittering all around, and then just flies out from underneath the bush, scaring me silly. That you couldn't have just walked out of there when I was at the top of the bush and just left like a normal bird would? No. No, you can't do that. So, so anyway, it, we don't get the impression that it's like that. It's not like the kind of hovering dove, the flittering dove. And I love doves, don't get me wrong. I, I always take note when I see doves, always. I, I consider that to be a consistent sign from God about his peace in my life, consistently. So I, I don't want to give you the wrong idea. I don't hate doves or anything. I don't like pigeons. And I know they're related, but they're not the same thing. <laughs> no. Nah. And I don't like seagulls. I don't generally like birds, but I do like doves. No offense. <laughs> okay. I do like doves, though. And and so, anyway. so But we don't get the idea it's this flittering kind of floating dove, like the, you know, like the drifting dove. We get more of a, an idea from the way it's described of... It being more like a flame falling from heaven in the shape of a dove, which could be whatever you think it is. I don't know what you think of when you think of that shape, but that would be the idea that we would have. And so remember in the Bible a lot of times, (laughs) remember in the Bible a lot of times that things are described in terms that people had. So they would only describe things in terms of their vocabulary. So, so of course, you know, you wouldn't get something described as an automobile. Does that make sense to everybody? You wouldn't have something described as a laser, right? Because there were no lasers. There were no laser beams attached to ill-tempered sea bass or anything. There's no, no lasers, all right? So there's no lasers, no laser beams. So they wouldn't describe it that way. So, when you read descriptive words in the scriptures, just realize that they're using words that was within their vocabulary. And so this would have been something that would have been in their vocabulary. And so they're describing this situation taking place of the Holy Spirit descending onto whatever they were doing. Okay, them coming up out of the water, the manifestation of what's going on there and everything that's taking place, and that he's descending on that. But it's shaped like, as Luke 3.22 would say, shaped like a dove. Right? So if you want to look at that, you can. But So this is a visible token. This is a visible token of something that was about to take place and something that was maybe about to change, which we see a visible 
and a recognizable change in the life of Jesus that was about to take place is when this dove, or whatever it was, just the Holy Spirit descended upon him and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit here. Because what happens after that, you, you can begin to delete that. John 3.34, if somebody want to read that, John 3.34, and then I'm going to have a couple more verses. So John 3.34, Matthew 4.1, and Mark 1.12. I'll read those again. John 3.34, Matthew 4.1, and then Mark 1.12. Because what happens right after this? After his baptism, what begins? Okay. Right, so, right, so he's, we'll look at the temptation, but the, in general, what happens is that it's this point that his public ministry is about to start. In other words, he comes onto the scene. People knew him before this, but they knew him as what? Joseph's son, the carpenter. Alright? And he lived in a town, and he had friends, and he had gone to school, and whatever else he had done. So he had lived just his life, or whatever, he's about 30 years old, but something was about to change, dramatically was about changing his life. And it can be tied back to this moment. It can be tied back to, tied back to this moment that the Holy Spirit descends on him, he's anointed in this moment, and then certain things begin to happen in his life. Okay, John 3.34 says, just to set the scene, All right, and so what we see here is that he you've received the Holy Spirit. He's received the Holy Spirit, and God gives his Holy Spirit without limit. So, in other words, if you have received the Holy Spirit, what does the Bible in Ephesians tell you to do? It says for you to can keep on being what? Filled. With the Holy Spirit. In other words, the idea there is is that you continue to receive, you continue to be filled, and that there is a limitless supply of what God wants to pour out into your life and the Holy Spirit that God wants to bring into your life. There's no limit to it. In other words, we're not rationed out. So it's a well, it's not a cistern. Cistern being a hole in the ground that collects water and that you can draw from, but it's going to run out of water if it's not replenished. A, a, a well is more of an underground river that has a source of water that is flowing. All right? So the idea of the Spirit is in John 3.34 is that it's more the river analogy than it is the cistern analogy. Okay, so let's look at what begins to happen to him after he's baptized and after the Holy Spirit fills him. Uh, Matthew 4.1. Oh, so he be, he begins to get led. Okay. No, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. He begins to be led. And so I'm not going to get too much into the temptation. I'm not going to get into too much of what happens in the wilderness. But he's led there. And he responds to that. And so there is a leading that takes place in his life that's part of, marked by him being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mark one twelve says it a little bit differently. Okay, once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. All right sent him, or uh, some versions, and the word literally means he was driven. It, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. So interestingly, led, being driven by, uh, what, what do you see as a difference between those two things? <laughs> it could be, but let's say, let's assume you're willing both ways. 
Well, what's interesting about that? I mean, like, how would you describe that in your life? Let's say you were driven somewhere or you were led somewhere. Right? Right. Okay, but that is an implication as a connotation, but it's not... Right. So, so more what I'm getting at, though, is if you're looking at it led or driven, I see it more as a vehicle, like what she said. I, uh, I want to finish up uh, talking about the uh, work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And so uh, I can't really finish up with that until uh, we, we talk about how he was anointed in a particular manner which is what we're looking at tonight. But he was also anointed in a, in a, with an abundance of a fitting. In other words, the Holy Spirit anointed him in a particular way for the work that God had called, the Father had called him to. And so I refer to Acts 10.38. That's uh, probably my go-to when I talk about the anointing of Jesus and how that affected him, his life, and his ministry. So somebody want to read Acts 10.38 for me? Okay, so basically what you have here, it doesn't state everything that ever happened in the life of Jesus, but it's, it's a descriptor of the anointing that he received and the fittingness of that anointing. He went about, and, and just read the thing he says, he went about doing good, he went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil, and then it even describes how it happened, for God was with him. And so you've got this very general understanding of who Jesus was, a very general understanding of his ministry, and a very specific understanding of how it all took place. Now, I've told the story before about where this came from for me, where this revelation came from, and it had to do with uh, a Sunday school class. Sitting in a Sunday school class and having an older guy, you know, he just spoke up in the middle of class. Hardly ever talked during class, but somebody had asked a question about Jesus and how he was doing the miracles or whatever, and he just brought this, this verse up. He said, because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he quoted that verse. And I have never forgotten that in my life because it changed the way I began to see the fitting, how God takes us, anoints us, and fits us for what he calls us to do. All right, now I don't go around doing all the things that Jesus did. Why not? I just don't. It's your truth. I just don't. And so the, the, the things that I am called to and the things that I do, I am fitted for by the same Holy Spirit that anointed him. And it's just like, in, in, if you're, let's say you are a counselor. Let's say you are working in a factory. Let's say you are working in a doctor's office. Let's say that you are a student. Let's say whatever it is, wherever you're at right now, there's the, the anointing of God in your life uniquely fits you for where it is you are and what you're doing. And so I, I'm a firm believer that, that God places us in places, he puts us in places for reasons. And so whatever that is, wherever that is, and for whatever purposes that God has for us in those places, I firmly believe that we have an anointing for that. Now, is it a different anointing? I don't know that it's any different. But I think it uniquely fits us for where we are.
of what God has called us to. And so as Jesus was uniquely fitted and abundantly fitted for what he did and for who he was called to be, for the work that he was called to do, I think that we're abundantly fitted also for the work that we're called to in the places that God puts us in. So, I, you know, what has God called you to? Well, Kaylin lives in Thailand and reaches people in Thailand. I'm not called to Thailand. So I don't go to Thailand for that. I'll go see her and support her in her ministry, but I don't go as a missionary because that's her call. Or, you know, you look at the Parlados. They're, they live in Senegal. They're called to Senegal to be missionaries there. I'm not called to Senegal. But in each of those cases, as missionaries, I believe there's an abundance, they're abundantly fitted to do what God's called them to do. Kaylin is abundantly fitted to do what God's called her to do. Parlados are abundantly fitted to do what God's called them to do. And I think that's true of each of us. I just use them as examples because they go somewhere. They're away from us for nine months out of the year, ten months out of the year. But we serve a God that equips us. We serve a God that anoints us. We serve a God that, that pours that out into our lives. And as I was saying before, it's like that whole idea of being led or being driven. There's a vehicle and I believe the Holy Spirit is a vehicle in our lives that will help us to get us where God would have for us and into what God would have for us. And so I, I just I just want to encourage you in that, that I think God puts an encourager into our lives through the Holy Spirit that helps us and that moves us along and encourages us along, I should say. And I think that's important sometimes. Because we get stuck. I think sometimes we get distracted. I think sometimes we lose track of what it is God has said. And and we hear like however many voices are, are around us through family, friends, whoever it is, and, and and whatever happens in our life. But you know, God's a reminder of, of things that are true. God's a reminder. He calls the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit. And so that anointing that God brings, there's a leading and there's a driving in that. There's an encouraging in that. And there's a, 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 a an abundant fitting that God wants to bring into our lives through that. So I'm going to leave you with that because I, I believe that uh, that's, that's some good, that's a good spot for us to, to kind of dwell on to dwell on and thanking Him as a Father and letting that witness, the Holy Spirit and that witness in us cry out, Abba, Father. Recognizing the Holy Spirit in us is equipping us, is making it is abundant fitting for what God has called us to. Maybe the Holy Spirit in us is that leading or even sometimes that driving force, that vehicle that we need. That encourager. Okay, if you follow what I'm saying? Alright, so let's just take a few moments and pray. And uh, I just want God to ask God to maybe take some of those truths, maybe take some of those things, and uh, and apply them to specific areas that we need some application to. So, Heavenly Father, I just want to say thanks for 
again, loving us. And I thank you for an abundant love of a father who looks at his children and he he's, he takes delight. I thank you that you take delight in your children. I thank you you love us with an abundant love. And so, Father, we have a spirit. We have that Holy Spirit in us crying out, Abba, Father, Dad, Father. So I pray that we'd allow Him to have His way. Let Him win that fight. That ridiculous fight that's in us that tries to hold on to bad ideas or whatever it is we're trying to hold on to. But to be willing to say in agreement, yes and amen, to what you, the Holy Spirit, are saying to us and what you, the Holy Spirit, are revealing into our lives. And so we say thank you for that. We say thank you for that abundant love. We say thank you for that relationship. We say thank you, God, for the the the, the peace and the love that you want us to live and dwell in, experience in our lives, the safety that's in that, the protection that's there, all those good things. We'll just stop arguing with you and and let that that Holy Spirit in us to to cry out, Dad, Father. I know you that way. That we have the witnesses that have seen how you interact. The witnesses from the scriptures that declare that it, this is who you are. This is the love. This is the the delight you take. And so I pray, God, for even more revelation of that into each of our lives. And I pray, God, uh, just for your Holy Spirit to encourage us. I pray for your Holy Spirit to to, to be in our lives just abundant. That it's more than, that He would be more than we ever thought. And I just ask you that, that as you equip us and God, as you fit us for what you've called us to, I pray that we'd have a rest and we'd have a peace in that as we move forward into the vision that you place in our lives, as we move forward into that which you've spoken over us and that which you have for us to do. And so as we receive whatever that particular anointing is, I give you thanks that that anointing is the anointing that anointed Jesus, that anointing is the anointing that came upon each of us as we came to know Him. I thank you that it's that anointing that, that, that equips us, it's that anointing that, that is abundantly fitting us for all that you have for us to do. And I give you thanks for that tonight. I give you thanks for uh, seeing it. I give you thanks for preparing us. I give you thanks for giving us what we need in the moment. I give you thanks, God, that you already know. And so tonight, we give you thanks that you're a God who cares, you're a God who loves, you're a God who equips, you're a God who takes care of us. I pray that we can find more and more trust more and more faith. More and more rest in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 Alright, well God bless you guys. It's good seeing everybody. And uh, thank you for coming out.